0: I've never heard the six-foot-tall thing from any woman. Like, I've never heard any woman be like, he's gotta be six feet. I've never heard that in my life. I think women are very open to men of all like heights, as long as he is confident and moves about the world with ease. Like that's a big part of it. Like, does he seem com- competent? Confident. Yeah. Like that like, let's focus on that. How do you cultivate that rather than like your income? Like, a, I think plenty of women would be fine with marrying a man who makes wh- way less than a hundred thousand dollars a year if she feels like when she's with him, he's got shit handled.
1: What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health, and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy.
2: Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on plague day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so...
1: If that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay?
2: Oh, <laughs> all right, all right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, episode number 194. I probably should have looked at the number beforehand. But anyways, uh, today with me, I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. Um, I've enjoyed our interactions on Twitter, and um, her name is Julie Mastrini. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Good job pronouncing my name.
2: <laughs> well, I listened to everybody else say it, and I'm like, <laughs> I-, I kept looking at it. I'm like, that's Mastrini?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's Italian and they anglicized it and mm-hmm. tail as this as time. But yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
2: Yeah, of course. So um I guess first things first, uh give a brief introduction and then there are just a whole host of topics I've been running through my head about what we're gonna talk about today. So uh uh feel free to like I said, give yourself an introduction. We'll kind of bounce from there.
0: Yeah, um so I'm first and foremost a writer. I've written for a number of publications. Um I have written for Evie Magazine quite a bit, um, and also for All Sides, I write about media bias, and then I also actually do media bias audits of news publications, and uh, help to consult with editors and journalists to help them uh, minimize political bias in their writing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of the main thing, but then I also, you know, I like commentating on politics and culture and things like that. So. Mm
2: Yeah. So, um, one thing that's been interesting for me, um, I come from more of a right wing background, if you will, because I've worked in the automotive industry. I mean, literally everybody I interact with is pretty much a Trump supporter. My parents are, um, you know, in-laws are, you name it. I'm pretty much surrounded by those kind of people at all times because we're all kind of blue collar people and rural Pennsylvania is you're, you know, pretty close to me in proximity actually. So I'm sure you kind of get a little bit of it too. So, um, one thing that's kind of been interesting over the last 10 years, and I'm really curious your opinion, is that with the rise of alt media and your kind of work, um, there's a lot of, once again, bias in alt media now. And now that alt media is become bigger than mainstream media, I think a lot of people kind of take that alt media just because it's a dissident narrative typically doesn't have any kind of bias baked in. But I'm sure you could probably illuminate um, more than I could about how that's certainly not the case
0: bias in alt media. Yeah. Um it's it's almost like the default. Like I don't see a lot of alt media that's like just trying to give you an objective even-handed right. view. Like it's actually actually it's more like people who dissent from the mainstream narratives are turning to alt media and it's really their only option and they're not seeing themselves reflected in the mainstream media but the mainstream media is just biased the other way so there's like very few publications or media outlets that are actually doing what we would consider like traditional journalism (laughs) right
2: (laughs) yeah so for me i kind of came from like nutrition background when i started looking into like bias and stuff like that so um What really interested me was people who were able to say like, hey, this is my bias and like, this is where I'm coming at with my interpretation of the data. Um, I've always appreciated people who are able to kind of lay out the way that they're viewing things, so at least you kind of know the way that they're looking at it. Um, I feel like that's not quite as apparent, and people don't quite do that when it comes to political stuff. Um, the the one person I tend to harp on a lot is Tim poll who is incredibly biased, although he says that he's not. But then he'll literally run polls that says was Trump the best president ever? Or, you know, and all his headlines are dunking on Democrats, which fair enough. But like, just come out and say, hey, my bias is towards Trump. And that's kind of how I view things. Okay, then we don't have a problem, but once again, my problem is being a arbiter of information and telling people that you're getting that you're giving non-biased information, but you're only giving one side completely biased
0: it's interesting because I feel like when I first discovered oh. him, I didn't feel like he was all that biased. We actually and at all sides, we actually have him rated center. We always say center doesn't mean that you're unbiased. It just means it's hard to put you in a box of right. left or right. Um, I, and so, and he's actually a big fan of all sides, I think because he became disillusioned with, he was working for Vice yeah. and they're super left. And he became disillusioned with all that. Um, and now is kind of, but he's definitely in the commentary realm now, right? Like I wouldn't say his show is like objective journalism. It's all commentary and his- right guests are commentating. So yeah, we also at all sides are like very appreciative when people are just transparent about their bias. We even have all of our employees um explicitly state on our team page if they are left, center, or right. That's like kind of part of our models that we are open about our biases. Um, just because so often you have people, yeah, masquerading as objective, but then they're like not really hitting those um like metrics that you would you we have metrics we have developed to like help to measure if the reporting is um not unbiased because nothing's totally unbiased that's kind of impossible but just like hitting those like traditional standards of objectivity um and so if you're you know if you're mostly doing commentary just like by nature you're not you're not going to be unbiased right you're like coming from a perspective so and you're right i don't think he's really I think he calls himself, does he still call himself a disaffected liberal?
2: Yeah, it's still in his bio. But uh, Um, once again, when all you have on is right wingers and then you omit, which he does, a lot of information that would make, you know, the political right look bad, then at a certain point, you kind of have to call that for what it is. And like, I don't have a problem with you saying that you're a disaffected liberal who now likes Trump, but just come out and say this is your bias. Because once again, my problem is giving people information under a false pretense because then once again people assume that they're getting non-bias information that really can kind of shape the way they view the world in an incomplete way which i think actually hurts more than it tends to help
0: yeah and that's like the whole premise behind what we do at all sides is that we actually created a left center right news feed so that people can and we rate the media outlets left center right um uh, with methodologies that include input from people across the political spectrum Mm -hmm. and then we put all that media next to each other with the idea being just like get a broad view and then you'll be able to know when someone's like omitting something or Mm -hmm. creating a slant or like whatever it is but you have to consume a lot of media content to start to be able to see that um which the average person is not going to have tons of time for us. We kind of try to create systems that are like going to make that easier for people and like help them consume it. And we even will write, we write blogs um, just breaking down the bias. We'll take one story and then we'll be like, here's how Fox and New York Times and all these different outlets covered it. Here's what they omitted. Here's what they included. Like how does that serve the different political narratives? Um, It's interesting, but I think, yeah, the average per we're getting a lot of interest in schools now because they think, everything's so politicized in our country right now that you've got teachers being like how do we teach students how to like navigate this like onslaught of information that's coming at them all the time um but yeah the transparency would be nice but very few people in the media are transparent about like where they're coming from
2: right right so that's actually a really interesting point i've never heard you um actually lay that out before with uh teachers um I think everybody's implicit impression is that teachers are typically left of center because, you know, they work for unions and they tend to work with people. So that kind of like maps where they would be politically. Um, Do you find that to be true as well? And, or do you find that they're a little bit more like not politically involved and they just kind of want to be able to give people unbiased information?
0: I think it's both. I think that it's, it's, I think that, Whenever I'm interacting with well, especially the university level, but if we're talking like K through 12, I'll assume that um, I I typically assume people in those circles are liberal, I wouldn't assume they're conservative, right? Right. That's kind of the default assumption I go in with. But then you're right, there are some people that just, they don't want to have to deal with the political narratives and they just want to be able to like teach and not worry about the politicization of everything but things have changed so much just since like i was in school i was just talking to somebody about this the other day that like everything's political now um it's almost like a to- totalitarian in nature how you can't get away from politics in this country anymore um even people at the high school level have to deal with like the politicization of everything and that just didn't used to be the case like it used to be that the average person could kind of ignore politics and now we really can't i mean especially since covid and during covid um you couldn't ignore what was going <laughs> what was going on right and it was highly political um so it's died down a little bit now but even now it's just like you can't get away from it. Um, which I don't think is a good thing. (laughs) I think the average person should be able to ignore politics and like have a fine life. And we're kind of at a point where like, you have to be aware and, um, it's difficult. I don't
2: know. Yeah, no, I absolutely hate it. (laughs) I I think a lot of people do too, but like one thing that, um, I'm not sure exactly how to take it. I'm curious, your input would be, um, the whole indictment of Trump recently and, one part of me kind of says like okay so you have his base who's just die hard him no matter what and they're gonna vote for him no matter what and you probably have a lot of apolitical people in the center who are just like my god can we go back to 2019 where like things were hot but like it's not just 24 7 hours a day trump 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 like I, we just want to get away from this and i kind of think that's what happened in 2020 is that a lot of people were heard biden and you know, promising that we're going to return to normal. And they were like, okay, well, this is like way too polarizing. Let's vote for this guy because this seems like a return to normal. And I think they were wrong, but I think that this was kind of like the normie, uninvolved, apolitical person's thought is just like, I, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And I think 2024, you're going to have a split of apolitical people who are just like, I don't, I can't deal with this anymore. And then you're going to have people who are like, fuck this whole system. <laughs> I'm I'm voting for Trump again because they hate him.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, he is super incendiary, mm-hmm. so um, I think that's right. Like, uh, people were – I mean, there were, like, literally riots in the streets, and – We haven't had those since to the degree that that it was happening, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you're right that, like, there were a lot of, like, normie average people that were just like, well, anything but this, and let's go back to – I mean, Trump was the brick in the establishment, so it's like, let's go back to the establishment, right? Mm -hmm. Biden-Obama types, right? Right. Um, I think that is what happened. I don't really know. It's hard – now it's kind of hard for me to get a good sense of what's going to happen because you've got this split on the right with, the like, DeSantis-Trump, split. And I think a lot of people just want Trump to step away um, because yes. he's so incendiary. Like that people, even people who like agree with him and support him, like don't think he's good for the right. Um and or even like effective when he's in office at like getting their guys into the proper positions. Mm-hmm. Um and then yeah, so I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen but then you're right. You have the diehard people um who seem like they'll just kind of back him no matter what. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um And I I always thought it was interesting, like, tying it to the media, how, like, the media, like, obviously hated Trump, even, like, way back and, like, um, before he was elected, but he was running. Um, And it's interesting how, like, attention is currency. So I always (laughs) thought, like, okay, if you hate this guy, ignore him, and then it'll go away. But the media was just, like, obsessed with him, even though they hated him. All they did was, like, report on him and report on him and report on him, and it kind of, like, elevated him to the top, Mm -hmm. right? And I don't know. There's a lot of this going on just in the country in general right now where there's, like – Stuff that people don't like, but then they like shine a spotlight on it and won't stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. And they're like always surfacing on your social media feeds things that they hate, you know, kids at drag shows, this and that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I'm not saying that should be ignored um, 100%. It's just that, like, I don't think people realize your attention is currency. Mm -hmm. And so what you give attention to is going to like grow, um, if that makes sense. And I always thought that was interesting about Trump. Like just the media like clearly hated him, but they like couldn't stop talking about him, you know? Yeah. And then it kind of helped him.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I saw something with Lizzo today and obviously um, the, the show being in Liberty and health, I'm kind of a health nut. And I wanted to quote tweet it and talk shit, but then I'm like, like you said, attention is currency. Yeah. There's no need for this.
0: It's hard. I mean, it's, it's definitely a battle too. Cause it's like, well, should we surface the things that are like grotesque or that we don't like? And like, bring attention to them? Or do you just ignore? I don't know. And I, 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 I guess lately I'm falling on the side of like, you know, just if you like, just ignore it, but um, I don't know. It's hard. We, we all have to kind of walk that line. Right. Cause I'm sure the the, the liberal media was like, this guy's terrible. Like, look at what he said. And that's why they were covering it. Cause they wanted to like bring it to light. Yeah. Um, but then I think it just helped him. So I don't know. It, it It's hard, but just something to think about
2: yeah yeah you definitely have to kind of walk the fine line um yeah so like w- one thing that i also like that you laid out is um i've heard you talk about how certain adjectives where they add in um certain paragraphs and when they're describing things you kind of pick up on where the biases are so like with uh drag shows and these drag queen story hour stuff i think it's something that's happening and like you said it shouldn't be ignored but i think some people fall into the trap of thinking like Every school you go to, you're going to see a drag queen there, and that's just not the truth. But, you know, finding a gauge of where the actual threat is is really, really hard to put your finger on. Because if you're on Twitter, you see the shit all the time. Because as soon as anyone who's, like, remotely sensitive to this sees it, the first thing they do is blast it and say, like, this is unacceptable. But like you said, once again, attention is currency, so more eyes get on it, and it spreads like wildfire. So it seems a lot bigger than it is, but, you know, once again... Are you supposed to tell what's where it is?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and um, yeah, it's it's interesting, and uh, and I I think, and then it like also kind of like incites the backlash. It's like Mm. equal and opposite reactions too, where it's like, I mean, we just we've just been seeing this where you know Republicans are passing bills to limit children at drag shows, and then you have this like equal and opposite reaction of the protesters at San Francisco. State University, I don't know if you saw this, I'm um, going after Riley Gaines. And mm-hmm. it was like, they're clearly upset about the bills that are being passed in different states. Um, it's not their state, so I don't quite know why, because California <laughs> would never pass a bill like that. So right. whatever. Um, but anyway, it's just like, um, yeah, it's like you, you surface these things that are going on in society. And a lot of them are like pretty bad and do need attention. Mm-hmm. But you're right, like the internet so warps our perspective. And this is only going to get worse with AI, where it's like, how do we know yeah how do how do we know how pervasive something is um how serious to take something this is something we're always dealing with um at all sides too is like um like when is something being sensationalized and when is it like actually this bad or this serious or like whatever and it's hard for like the average person who's not there on the ground um to know so yeah i don't know this is something we we write about a lot and then you mentioned like The adjectives people use, right? This is one of my favorite, let's say, forms of media bias, because it's so obvious, Uh is when the reporter will stick an adjective in front of something. So they're telling you what to think about it.
1: I am stoked to tell you guys about the show's new sponsor. I am now working with MTS Nutrition, which is a brand that I've believed in for a very long time. And they run awesome cells and they have awesome products. So um, I want to tell you about their amazing protein powder, which you're going to ask me how many pounds I have of the protein powder. And the answer is all of them. So here I got red velvet cake, 25 grams of protein. And they have the amino acids and everything on there, 59 servings peanut butter fluff, uh, fluff fluffernutter, 26 grams of protein, and then also the chocolate chip cookie, which literally has real pieces of chocolate chip cookie in there. So 27 grams of protein, 180. As I've talked about on the show, getting your protein in is very, very important, so make sure you hit that link below and purchase your protein powder through MTS Nutrition. Boom! Instead of just being objective, um, so saying like
0: um, there was a harmful proposal or even a baseless claim. We saw that all the time during Trump. He made a baseless yeah. claim. A baseless claim. It's like, well, you stating that the claim is baseless is your opinion. Maybe someone else would argue there's a basis for it. Like you're getting into the realm of subjectivity. And you see journalists doing this all the time. Or um, they just like add a little adjective in front of something um, so that it, it warps your view. Because if you don't know how to see that, then you just... Uh, you, I mean, you'll just like absorb it, right? Oh, that was a harmful proposal, right? If you're not like thinking critically about it, well, is it harmful? Do I agree that it's harmful? The journalist said it's harmful. The journalist said it's a baseless claim. But do, what do I think, right? And it's this subtle manipulation, like it's. I mean, I honestly think it goes into propaganda because they're they're telling you what to think about something, right? Um. Anyway, that's just like I've seen that so much over the last like three years, and just the the, the standards of journalism have eroded so much where it's just like. You don't have this separation of um, opinion versus news content anymore. It's, like, all just melded together. And even, like, historically trustworthy media outlets, like the Associated Press, have really changed in this way. Um, and so, I don't know. It, it's actually really troubling. <laughs> and then, the, uh, I mean, our solution is just to, like, bring light to it and, like, help people to understand and to, like, think more critically about the media they're consuming. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, it, it's concerning. It's al- It almost feels like the average journalist thinks they should be an advocate
1: mm-hmm. rather
0: than just a third-party objective observer. They, they've now inserted themselves into the story, and they want to shape the world in the way that they think is best instead of just saying, he said this and she said this, and you just dec- – reader, decide for yourself what you think. They now are, like, going to – Insert themselves into the story and kind of manipulate your view so that the guy whose side they're on wins out, right? right? They see themselves as advocates. So just the idea of what journalism is has changed. Like I talk to journalists who are like, oh, we need to elevate marginalized voices. Like that's the role of journalism. Yeah. Well, then what does that typically mean? Like that we know limits
2: me. are on the left.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like we know what that means. Um, and they'll even say we should get rid of objectivity. I don't believe objectivity is real. Like <laughs> like that yeah Yeah. oh it's crazy out
2: there so yeah how do you have a conversation with somebody like that um so how long have you been with all sides uh since
0: 2018 okay wow it's yeah
2: okay so yeah I have to imagine the last like you said the last three years in particular it's absolutely insane because you see hyperbolic claims being made on both sides with a specific treatment where there are people now, there's a market for it where they're saying like, this is population control. This is killing everybody. It's like, okay, there's data. This is harming people, but it's not as severe as population control. Like We we could pump the brakes a little bit. Now on the other side, they say there's no harm. It's only benefit. You should take this no matter what. So I'm sure you could probably, the bias is probably pretty clear at that point, you know, what side they're telling.
0: Yeah. I noticed the same thing about the right, like, being all about like, this is gonna destroy your fertility and like, right. right? And then, but it's weird because none of them seem to have been like, hey, you know what? I was wrong. Like that was like all over the place. And I haven't seen anybody be like, I thought that, (laughs) but I was wrong. Right. Right. (laughs) And it was just all this, yeah. Like super hyperbolic, like conspiracy brain stuff. Um, And and yeah, I mean, and then obviously the bias on the left, if you're on the right, like I am, the bias on the left is pretty obvious. right. On the right, it's, like, sometimes it's, like, I don't even, I don't think the right knows how, they almost, their bias almost is, like, delving into, like, conspiracy-brained stuff Mm -hmm. more, um, and then not admitting when they're wrong. Like, I've seen so many people on the right, like, predict something ridiculous is gonna happen, like, oh, there's gonna be rolling blackouts, or, like, this and that, right, like, back when there were riots or whatever, and they're gonna go after the grid, and this and that, and, like, none of it happens, and then they're just, like, just like, "Eh," like, pretend they never even said it, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like, it's just unhinged a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and like I get making predictions and I've made predictions that have been wrong before. But yeah. like you said, just, just come out and say, hey, you know, I, I screwed this one up, got that wrong. But, you know, as you said earlier with um, left leaning people, you could tell their bias. But once again, they'll never admit that the specific treatment didn't work the way that it was rolled out. Right. But, but, you know, it's the same thing on the right. Once again, they're saying this is population control. Infertility, and I've looked into a lot of these claims. You, I can't find papers on like the fertility stuff. I can find papers on myocarditis and some mm-hmm. of the other stuff, but it's never as bad as they're saying. But mm-hmm. you know, in a specific age group, you, it definitely raises your risk. But it's not like you know, you you just look at the thing and you're dead, like some people would tell you. And <laughs> yeah. then, like you said, or um, you know, with the left, they'll tell you that this treatment saves you no matter what, and you know, it's only the people who didn't get it that are dying. But once again, that's not true either
0: right or like the idea that i really didn't like the idea that natural immunity was suddenly like not worth anything right i mean and the left is so concerned with misinformation i really don't like that word um because i think it's unnecessary i feel like we could just say something's true or false they
2: weaponize Uh, the
1: term typically yeah
0: it's just a weird word it strikes me as dystopian but um because it's like it, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't like the word at all because it's just, there's true and false. True. There's falsehoods and then there's things that are true. Why don't we just say that instead of having this okay, like okay. strange new term for things that are true or false. But um, you just see it. Um, You do see it on both sides, like mm-hmm. claims being made or even like information being downplayed. That's important.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Like you just said, you couldn't find any papers on the like fertility thing. Well, no one on the right's gonna like talk about that, but then on the left, no one was talking about how natural immunity was like a good bulwark against, like, <laughs> y- you know what I mean? It's just like everybody's like elevating and and demoting information to the degree that it like suits their narrative, and right. this just happens everywhere. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, I kind of see that in the nutrition world where people would say, like, there's cyanide and almonds or something like that. It's like, okay, well, you would have to eat 500 raw almonds to get a sufficient amount of cyanide to kill somebody. But Ugh. you're not going to say that part. You're just going to say there's cyanide and almonds so that way you could say, hey, buy my, you know, liver pills or, you know, buy my raw testicles or something like that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, but that's the kind of stuff that happens. Yeah, yeah,
0: totally. Oh, yeah, I'm sure this is rampant in the nutrition world for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I saw so- you uh, going I saw you tweeting about like the seed oil hate oh, stuff. God. And, like, yeah. and I thought yeah, it's kind of funny cuz that's another thing people I don't know both sides can get real puritanical, right? Mm-hmm. Um that's a thing and they kind of lose nuance in the process. Um Right.
2: Well, it- the, the reason why I harp on like a lot of the nutrition stuff and, and, and no, I'm sorry to turn it over this but like orthorexia kills it's the most deadly disorder there is right one in five people with an eating disorder will die directly from that eating disorder so like when you're sitting here demonizing foods and tell people oh carbs sugars seed oils these are all bad for you then that can create disordered eating which once again that eventually leads to an eating disorder which will kill people so like just tell people hey just be honest with people. And I, I think a lot of these people mean well, but once again, it's just they were given a narrative, they ran with it, and they never looked into anything that, you know, misconfer or, uh, you know, disproved their bias. I mean, all the shit that people had attacked me for, I believed at one point, but it just took better arguments, better data. And, To to convince me that I was wrong, but for some people, that's not enough. Some people need a story. And I think that's kind of what um, media is kind of supposed to do in some regards is that um, if you think about Donald Trump, he kind of told a story, right? Make America great again. That's something for people to believe in. So people kind of buy that wholesale. They're not going to necessarily look to things that don't disprove that or Biden, you know, build back better. People believe in that story and that narrative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, and I think it's interesting cause like now with social media, we're sort of seeing everybody and it's like, you're, everybody's just trying to figure it out, right? Everyone's just trying to figure out the best way to live and the right path, path of action and the best course of living and the right decisions. Um, but in social media, you're just seeing everybody work through that in real time. Right. And so you'll see someone become like, you know, uh, is like uh, obsessed with how terrible seed oils are and that's why we're all fat and and that's why we're sick and you know and then maybe they drop off of that and then they have a different perspective whatever and you just see this in like almost any realm you can think of it's just um people trying to figure it out but um you do get into like yeah some like puritanical stuff or like different narratives different stories people are telling um it just it's fascinating and you see all this play out in real time like on twitter like
2: yeah so i'm kind of glad that you kind of brought up lifestyle stuff there and um your response there because um one thing that i really wanted to bring you on to talk about and we come at this both from different angles um the you were on buck's show our mutual friend buck johnson who's just one of the best people ever yes. <laughs> he's been on the show plenty of times <laughs> but um You guys did an episode called The Myths of the Manosphere, and I want to give the floor to you to kind of tell me your experience with the Manosphere before I give a response because depending on your experience with it is going to dictate where I want this conversation to go, which I know sounds like super odd, but like there's a lot of junk there, and I don't think people navigate it very well, and the more hyperbolic stuff tends to get to the forefront as with anything. So um, I'm curious kind of what your experience looking into the Manosphere was and kind of your thoughts overall. And like, who were some of the prominent figures that you saw?
0: Yeah, I think I think at first when I discovered it, I was like, oh, like, because I, I had been a feminist and I think that feminism in a large way is a reaction to weak men. Um, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. But anyway, I had been... You know, I think my motivation in the past for having been a feminist feminist was that. So then when I found the manosphere, it's like, oh, here are men, like, talking to other men about how to be men. Cool. Like, we need that. No one's speaking to men in our culture. You're not even, like, allowed to, or you get, like, canceled or whatever. And I was like, okay. But then, like, the more I looked at it, um, especially as a woman, um, there was, like, some good things there like, telling men to lift, right? Like, yes, please, tell the men to lift, (laughs) you know? Yeah, like, like, oh, there's, I I mean, the fact that it needs to be said is sad, but we are in the world that we're in, and modern life is very easy, and a lot of men just, like, don't take care of their bodies, right? Things like this um, were good, but then, like, the longer I spent time just, like, kind of watching this space, um, the more I saw the, and then I became a Christian as well, so, like, I started to identify a lot of narrative threads that are really toxic and actually had have seen how they've harmed women I know mm-hmm. um, because women are being exposed to this stuff too. So the stuff we talked about on Bucks podcast was like these um men that are very like concerned with women's age, and they say that like if she has spent time in hookup culture, she no one should marry her because. Your likelihood of divorce will go up with the more, like, sex partners you've had. And um, women who don't get married and have kids are going to be miserable. And um, women who have careers are, like, not worth marrying because they're careerists and they're not going to focus on their family. And, like, just some of the stuff just started to strike me as, like, having an attitude where it was uh, lacking any sort of understanding of repentance, meaning people change (laughs) and can let go of a bad past and change and then still be good and worthy people. And the mark of your virtue isn't how much you've sinned, but how repentant you are. Um, Like these men are looking for women who are like pure virgins, right? Even though we live in a really Mm -hmm. messed up culture that actually ushers people into the opposite path of life um, and really just puts young people through the ringer. And so, you know, not only are very few of us like super pure, uh, but also expecting people to have a perfect past is just not realistic and unchristian because the whole, um, you know, one of the main ideas in Christianity is that we are all sinners and we've all done bad things. We have to forgive one another and you can have a new life um, because you are absolved of your sins when you repent. So that was where it started to lose me was, um, and I, and it's almost like, doom porn for women. Cause it's like, Oh, if you're 30 and single, it's over for you. You're never going to meet anyone. Whereas I'd look around at my life and be like, Oh, well, I know a woman who's like 39 and is in- recently engaged. And she's recently fallen in love. Right. And, um, I know, oh, I know a woman who's 68 and single and she has a really interesting life, you know, and I would just look around at reality and be like, who are these people that are online? Like, saying that everyone should despair if their life doesn't look a certain way by a certain age so that's where i started to get real disillusioned with it it was that stuff specifically so
2: okay so i kind of want to take this piece by piece yeah so kind of starting from the beginning there um there definitely is something to women's past and and not to say that that's none of this stuff should be binary or taken as like a binary which I, i think a lot of people do and i'm not saying that you do this but like when you watch someone like Fresh and Fit or the whatever podcast, it's kind of red meat, right? They're do they're clowning women for the sake of men to be entertained because they know that's yeah. going to get them super chats and entertainment. Now, where I think it's good is to say, like, hey, a woman that has had a troubled past and clearly hasn't worked through those issues, um, it- it's good for men to ha- have standards for themselves and say, like, hey, I'm going to avoid this kind of person, right? And – For men to also realize, like, hey, I need to have good. I I need to be a valuable person, independent of women, independent of all this other stuff. And I want to be careful with how I approach this because this could sound really bad. But like dating non-exclusively, where you kind of, I'm not saying go around and stick your dick in everything. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. But like, kind of learning to socialize with people and understand, you know, different personalities and Kind of like the person that you can get along with best if that's through dating non-exclusively I don't see as necessarily a bad thing but this can't be like hey the agreement is is like open on my end and closed on your or you know like you're cheating right like one thing for my wife and I was like disloyalty as in like if either one of us cheated that's a deal breaker right away so like establishing boundaries in a relationship is very very important I know I'm kind of going all over the place here but like I think it's good for men to understand certain patterns that they can recognize in women and understanding that that can lead to a higher incidence of divorce and, you know, potentially compromising the quality of their life if they don't vet women properly. But once again, it's not to say that you should go to the extreme and say, well, if she's not a virgin and <laughs> she's not a Christian trad wife, then, you know, to the streets with her. Like, that's that's dumb there's nuance here and like you said repentance or showing you improved and i hate to use my antidote because this isn't like i don't want people to take my story and run with it but like one thing that really attracted me to my wife was um her ability to work through anger issues where like i seen over the course of years that she used to have a really bad temper and then you know a year goes by two years go by three years go by and then she's much much better with it so like i know i threw a lot at you but um I think there's something to, like I said, having standards for women from men's perspective, because a lot of men have been told, like, it's wrong for you to have standards. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think I even said that on Buck's podcast, where I was like, we do need to hold people to standards and we need to not tolerate bad behavior. But also, the key thing that you said is, like, um, yeah if the woman is not past that lifestyle and not repentant and doesn't think it's bad yeah red flag red flag mm-hmm. red flag avoid right um my thing is just if she has if she has turned over newly right it's like that for anything like um uh, a lot of people have things in their past that they're not proud of right even not even related to sex and, and romance or you know um people have gone down paths that are they now believe are wrong and they've changed. So if they've truly changed and exhibited change, and um, then I think even like green flag, if someone's capable of change and admitting they're wrong and like that's actually humble, uh, that's a good thing. So yeah, but then at the same time, it's like, yeah, I do wish, I do think men should have standards for women. And this whole thing is this like, the the interplay of the sexes is just like, you can't can't piece it apart, right? It's like, there's a lot going on here right like if more men said they didn't like that women sleep around and they refuse to sleep with women that they weren't committed to that would be great but what's happening is men are sleeping with women they're not committed to and then turning around and being like she needs to be a virgin if i'm gonna marry her and it's like well what's your part in having they're they're licking
2: the ice cream
0: Yeah, like, what's your part in having created this culture? We've all, like, contributed to this culture, and we all need to stop. Um, But it comes from both ends, right? Mm -hmm. And also, I think manosphere guys kind of misunderstand why women participate in hookup culture, because I don't think they understand that when a woman has sex with a man, she wants commitment. Like, she thinks that's what she's getting or going to get. Um, If I give him what I want, then he'll commit. That's Tip, that's the thinking of the average woman. Very few women are just like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to get laid. Like, mm-hmm. which is kind of how men think. Um, yeah. Women are doing it because they like you and they want you to commit. There's no such thing as casual sex for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are misguided and wrong because that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. And he's actually less likely to commit to you if you sleep with him early. Um, so to like assign totally nefarious motives to young women who have been led astray by our culture I don't think is fair um but yeah like you do have to like know how to vet people and I also agree with you that I think a lot of people are really under socialized today um as much as I talk about how bad like hookup culture is and stuff like that I also think we're now kind of also seeing like under socialization where young people are um, like, behind their screens, and they're, like, uncomfortable being in real life with people, and then you especially see men, I think, being kind of under-socialized, and then, like, not knowing how to just, like, have normal interactions, or, like, ask somebody out, or, like, have a casual conversation with somebody to bar, I don't know, like, it, just, it feels like those basic social skills are starting to, like, go by the wayside, too, and it's good for people to get experience in life with people, talking to people, like, yeah, knowing, like you said, like knowing what kind of person they drive with, like whatever it is. Um, and I think technology is making people less apt to do that. It's easier to just like stay home on your screen, you know?
2: Yeah, well, and that's kind of what I meant by like dating non-exclusively. So I'm not saying, you know, go once again, bang everything with two legs. Yeah. It's more of just, hey, go out and approach, right? Yeah. So this is where like the pickup artist guys, and I'm not endorsing their strategies, yeah. but like... Being out, getting comfortable with walking up to a woman and complimenting her, or you know, just once again being comfortable with being around people because, especially after the last three years, um, that's sorely missing. Um, it's funny because I, I think I told this story on a podcast that I did, but um, I met my wife through dating apps originally. But I like when I met her face to face. I tried to get her number a couple times off the dating apps, and it just didn't work. But though I finally saw her in person, and then you know, obviously things oh. worked out from there. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of glad that we didn't like meet specifically on a dating app because mm-hmm. I just, that, that shit bothers me because once again, it's so easy to have like an impression of somebody through text, through screens, even through like what we're doing right now. There's a different chemistry when it's, you know, you and one other person face to face. And that's a very, very important thing. For men and for women to kind of understand how to navigate that because there's a difference between, you know, texting somebody something nice or complimenting them because there's no, you know, you don't deal with that rejection straight up. And that's something that, you know, men should kind of learn to deal with because as a guy, you're going to get rejected a lot.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, honestly, like one of the things I liked about the pickup artist thing, and there's not too much to like there, let me, but one of the things I liked was um that they would encourage men to just go up to women and get rejected they're like you're gonna get rejected but just do it like do it a hundred times like approach her and you'll get just get used to getting rejected i actually liked that because then you don't want men like women can just smell when men are like scared or like Mm -hmm. worried about getting rejected it like all that energy comes out in how they're approaching you. So I liked that they were encouraging men to kind of desensitize themselves to the potential negative outcomes of uh, just approaching. And I think because I think it's also bad that people only feel comfortable approaching one another on dating apps now. Yes. I think we've kind of sterilized our culture. And I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think I blame women in part because women whine a lot about getting approached and and they're and and they'll be like, he's a creep and this and that. And I'm like, just politely decline and move on. You have the you have all the power. Um, to decline, and you have, and you can hold your boundaries, but they've complained so much about men approaching in ways they don't like that now men won't approach at all, all right. and then we had the whole Me Too movement, which just made it worse. Now men really don't want to approach or make a move in any way that would be feel natural because they're worried about being accused of harassment, so it's just like a total mess, right. and I do think that it's good that yeah, the, like, manosphere kind of tried to encourage men to become socialized and just approach women and get comfortable approaching them in person. Um, there's something also like, I think you kind of alluded to is like um, something that like, I'll see a lot with like in dating or with a lot of my girlfriends is men who um, are comfortable like DMing her, like texting back and forth, but then they never move it offline. Like they just Mm -hmm. dilly dally for like months. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I don't need a pen pal. Why doesn't he like (laughs) ask me out or make a move to make this real? Because you're right. The chemistry of in-person attraction is totally, you can have like actually good, like text chemistry with someone. And then when you meet in person, it's like not the same chemistry. So it's important to get it offline and meet. And like, if you're going to be like, married and living with someone and having babies with them that's all happening in real biological reality like we're not going to get rid of that right so like move it offline i would say like as soon as you can to me, because otherwise you're just going to waste your time but a lot of guys are like too timid to even like move it offline um and i've seen this like hundreds of times with my girlfriends where guys just want like a they want like a pen pal or like a chat bot which concerns me as well because we're now developing literal like ai chat bots yeah. So men are treating real women that way right now, but it's just going to get worse when they have like an actual simulated girlfriend they could mm. chat with. I don't know.
2: It's Yeah. So there's a couple of jumping off points there that um, I kind of want to touch on. The whole pen pal thing, um, you you had mentioned earlier that you're kind of from the right, as I would say I am as well. Um, I do believe that men should always pay for like the first date and make the plans because this isn't – it isn't about being chivalrous or anything like this. It's about establishing frame, right? So men need to establish it like, hey – I'm leading, right? Because I don't think a woman (laughs) wants to feel like she's dragging a man ahead. Like no woman wants to do that. So this is another thing where I think the Manosphere got it right. Or at least like the good guys from the Manosphere. So like when I think of the Manosphere, the two guys that I always tell people to listen to is Rollo Tomasi and Rhinestone because they're not the hyperbolic, just dunk on women for dunking on women's sake. Um, If you want to watch that, I I think that's dumb. And I don't think that really does anything other than just entertain that smooth lizard brain (laughs) part of your brain. Yeah. Um, But, like, when you listen to of Tomasi-Rhinestone, they kind of give you, like, the no bullshit and kind of try to get down to brass tacks about what genuine desire is and about how to be romantic and, you know, stats and different things that will at least improve your life in a dating regard. So, like, once again, when you're on that first date, it's important that you establish frame and establish that you're going to lead and you're going to kind of you know take things in the direction that you want to go in and a woman voluntarily follows. So like the way that I kind of explain this to a lot of guys is that romance kind of has to be like a dance. Where like you kind of throw out a little bit of something, you pull back and then you want her to come back to you and then you know same deals. You kind of walk that fine line rather than just like if you're a dude, you just constantly text her and <laughs> hope that she gets back to you because then you seem super clingy and I see guys do this all the time like stop texting her so much. Like <laughs> make a yeah. plan, execute, lead and you'll be good. And if she's interested, take the hint. But if she's not interested, then you have to take that hint as well and accept that, like, hey, it's time to move on.
0: Yeah, I think I used to write a lot about, like, how men should lead and this and that. Um, And now I almost think I would talk about it a little differently, where sure. it's it's less like – I almost think it's less, like, her wanting him to lead everything and be in control and more her just wanting him to be competent and confident and able to make decisions. Sure. Right. So it's like um, so it's even less about her just like uh, because I think women naturally are a little repulsed by the idea of like having to go along with everything a man wants or whatever. Um, It's the modern world. We can pick that apart if we want. Um, But it's more about like just him being confident, being like confident about what he wants to do or where he wants to go and confident about paying for the meal and like all of this stuff. Right. Just that he can make decisions. He can handle things. Um, he can take care of things like women want to feel like men can take care of things. Cause like, if you take this on a long enough timeline, one day, if it goes, well, she'll be with a baby and then she's going to need to rely on you to make decisions and do things and like, and be competent. And, um, so that's really what she wants to see. So I do think, so yeah, like I would agree with you that like men should pay. They should try to plan something for the first date because then it shows that like he, he just is capable, right? And she's not going to have to, like, mother him, right? Um, <laughs> and she's not going to have to take care of him and plan everything and do everything. And he can, like, pick up some of that end of things. Even if it's not always a perfect, like, I lead and you follow type of dance. Um, just at least that he's capable and able to make decisions. And I mean, it's weird that this needs to be said, but it's, there are a lot of men that like, aren't like that. They're like, (laughs) they they are constantly questioning themselves. They're not confident, right? They're like, I don't know, what do you want to do? Whatever, like Mm -hmm. just like kind of weak and don't know what they want. And aren't like, they're not like actively engaged in the world in in a way that's like admirable. They're like kind of nervous and scared. And (laughs) I don't know, so um anyway so i i I would agree with much of what you said and i do think that part of the manosphere is good too like there are there's a lot of stuff there that's not bad i haven't heard of the guys you mentioned though um i really just see this stuff almost like on the periphery of like being on social media and haven't really like spent a lot of time listening to any of these guys um or like singling out any of them to like listen to a lot of their content um but then you know there's men that are concerning in that space right i think yeah. andrew is concerning i would agree um, yeah and i don't even know that that needs to be extrapolated on that much it should be obvious um <laughs> but i don't know maybe it does need to be extrapolated on because a lot of young men are, are following him um and i i think he's i i don't i don't like trust him and um uh i think he's one of the ones who we're are better off ignoring.
1: All right, guys, um, I'm absolutely thrilled with the uh, show's new
2: sponsor. Um, I am now sponsored and uh, have an affiliate through LMNT Electrolytes. Um, I have used these electrolytes for years. Um, back when I used to do a lot of fasting, in fact, I used to drink, sometimes I want to say up to seven a day, seven little packets. So um, the packets are full of all the electrolytes that you need to perform and hydrate yourself properly. Um, You need sodium for pretty much every single function in your body, despite what um, a lot of people may tell you. um, Sodium doesn't actually cause a lot of the issues that uh, people kind of would have you believe. So um, just real quick to give you a little bit of facts. Um, You don't need sugar to hydrate. Electrolytes and water don't require glucose to pass through the gut. The average American consumes over 60 pounds of sugar a year. And um, when it comes to athletic performance, um, you can actually lose up to seven grams per day in hot climate. So uh, make sure you click on the affiliate link below to get all your hydration needs. And like I said, I'm super stoked to have these guys um, teamed up with the podcast and uh, just make sure you get your uh, electrolytes through Element. All right, guys, thanks. Yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, some of this stuff is helpful, I think, to helping men like just be a little more confident.
2: You yeah, what, well, when I hear like the fresh and fit or the Andrew Tate kind of saying, like, you should have, you know, the the generic, you know, all women want the three sixes, you know, six pack abs, six figure income and six feet tall. Um, and then saying, like, you should make $100,000 a year and have had sex with, you know, 50 girls. It's like, this isn't realistic for a majority of guys. And it just comes off so, like, shitty. Like,
0: and... It's materialistic. First right. Like, yeah. I don't actually, I've never, I don't know. I've never heard the six foot tall thing from any woman. Like, I've never heard any woman be like, he's got to be six feet. I've never heard that in my life. I think women are very open to men of all, like, heights, as long as he is confident and moves about the world with ease. Like, that's a big part of it. Like, does he seem com- competent? Confident. Yeah. Like that. Like, <laughs> let's focus on that. How do you cultivate that rather than like your income? Like, a, I think plenty of women would be fine with marrying a man who makes wh- way less than a hundred thousand dollars a year if she feels like when she's with him, he's got shit handled. Nice. <laughs> like, and he can help her with things, and he's useful. He's useful to her and to others. Like, that's the more important thing. I would love to see these guys focus more on um, how do you be useful to others. Because that's a big – I think that's a big reason a lot of marriages suffer because the woman's like, gosh, you can't even, like, take out the trash. I'm like your mom. Like, you won't even – you don't help. You don't do anything. You're not useful. Like, that's the real key thing that I think needs focus. And instead, it's all this materialistic stuff. Six feet, this amount of money, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just stupid. It's it's base level and and –
2: pedestrian i don't know i don't like it yeah no no i i actually completely agree with you um i'm sure people listening probably would have thought that we would have kind of came to blows on all this a lot of this stuff but i think you and i agree on pretty much everything there because uh, you know just like that red meat for red meat's sake i it's just like you're not giving people value like there's a difference between people who are just grifting and trying to get a reaction out of you and get your super chats and (laughs) get money off you versus people who are providing value so um the other thing I kind of want to touch on a little bit is that we do kind of live in what would be called kind of like a globalized sexual marketplace where I hate this idea of your woman has to delete her Instagram. But to extrapolate on that idea a little bit more, um, a woman who's advertising, right, a woman who's posing and, you know, I, I hate to say it, but thirst trapping – They're not and they do the soft launch where, you know, there's the, you know, the feet on the beach or, you know, a beer with another guy, and they never like come out and say that, hey, I'm with somebody now. I think that's a bit of an issue and that should be something that needs to be addressed. And I think that's something that the Manosphere points out, but they don't always get it right. Where like, you know, once again, back to my antidote, my wife doesn't post Trapping pictures of herself on social media. I wouldn't be with her if she was doing shit like that because it's not because like I necessarily care that she's doing it, but it's the fact that she would do it because it's saying like I'm not comfortable with the attention that my husband gives me, right? Yeah. And, and there's something too, like okay, if you look beautiful, like my wife looked beautiful on our wedding day, then yeah, by all means, show that. But like you know, there's a difference between like, hey, I look nice, and hey give me all your likes and all your attention. And I think this is kind of where this whole idea of a global sexual marketplace kind of comes in, where women can get attention from people all over the world by, you know, posting a thirst trap picture on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. And that really does affect the way that women see the sexual marketplace.
0: Yeah, I think I've thought about this a lot. And uh, I I, I heard actually, um, I don't know if you know going godward on twitter but um she's quite good and she was on helen roy's podcast recently and said that uh it used to be special when a woman would give a man a photo of her it like meant Mm. something right and now women are just for free like (laughs) <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean monetarily for free but I mean women are just allowing any and all men access to their beauty which is and their bodies which is something that's special and sacred and should really be reserved for a worthy man right and instead we have this culture where it's for everybody and this really started to gross me out um when I was living in San Francisco because I would the culture there is very like um you dress real skimpy, the women dress real skimpy and they take, you know, licentious photos and they post them to their Instagram. And, and there were just so many like disturbing, like drug addled, disgusting men on the streets there that I was like, I don't want him seeing any of this. Like, no, not deserving. This is like special and it's for good men. And I don't want them seeing any of this. Like I stopped wearing crop tops. Like, you know, women who are like in their early twenties are always wearing crop tops now. Right. And I used to wear them. And then I was like, I don't want people seeing this. Like, and it's just my midriff. Right. And I, I never dressed like that provocatively but a lot of young women do and then they take photos and they put on social media it's like you're letting bad men have access to you that's what Mm -hmm. you're doing um and then i think you are probably also getting at something where it also has a psychological impact of women feeling like they always need to be sexually available or even Mm -hmm. like visually available to lots of men and maybe that does do something where they feel like they need to be available to all the options and then maybe that hurts Mm -hmm. monogamy i i mean i could see that right um and uh and and it's bad for men too because men have access to all like it's kind of like this might even sound a little feminist but it's almost like when women are posting photos like that it's almost like you're not being a good sister to us Mm -hmm. because our men are going to be tempted by that and it hurts our ability to keep him his eyes focused here because Mm -hmm. you're posting your butt Please stop it, sister. Like, let's help all the men to behave and let's not um, tempt them, right? So I don't think women even understand the disservice they're doing to other women Mm -hmm. or the amount of civilizational, like, um, power that needs to go into, like, harnessing male sexuality and keeping it focused on one woman so you can actually have a family, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and, And I don't think women get that at all. And they think that when they're, like, being skimpy and showy on social media... Like, they're just thinking about themselves and the attention that they're getting. And they're not thinking about – I mean, this this is going to – maybe this sounds ridiculous, but they're not thinking about the, like, civilizational-level impacts of what right. they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that bothers me. Like, it's good for all of us if we're more modest. Mm-hmm. It's good because it helps the men to, to not be tempted. It's good because it helps uh, the women to not show off to men that don't deserve it, mm-hmm. right? It's good for all of us um, to be more modest. So, yeah, I, the social media culture has just, like, totally warped our brains in this yes. – regard
2: yeah i'm kind of glad you laid it out that way too and even like when it came to tempting men which sounds kind of like you said almost like feminist e but we know that men have a sex drive right yeah our testosterone is high especially when we're younger and men no matter what are attracted to women so when women dress yeah yeah there's visual cues that we're going to see and that are going to you know be they're they're going to get our attention so another thing that's kind of come up lately which just kind of drives me nuts because i even see this in my gym there's these women who i swear to god you could see like the tampon or (laughs) the breakfast they ate and then they're surprised that people are looking like they're coming in like these sports bras everything hanging out and like i'm not saying you shouldn't be comfortable when you work out but like don't be surprised when people are looking at you.
0: <laughs> it's like pornographic. Like, it's like people literally are wearing such like tight span. They look naked. Yeah. It's like, you can see everything. And this bothers me to no end at the gym as well. Cause I'm like, I look at women who are dressed like that. And I'm like, you don't know the impact of what you're doing. Like you, you don't, and it's everything that I just laid out. Right. It's bad for you because it just, you know, it distracts the men. It, 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 it makes them less willing to commit to one woman because yeah. look at all this out there. And then, and then it's, it's bad for you because men that I don't think you would respect are now able to see all your goods. You're yeah. rewarding them. Like your body should be like a, it's almost like it should be like a reward for a worthy man. Like it, it shouldn't be something that's free and available to all. And young women really don't understand this. And, you know, and I sound like a grandma saying it, but it's because it was earned wisdom of generations. That's why older women would say this, right. To younger women, we've just like lost that intergenerational wisdom and that link to, um, people who have, seen more no more right our elders like young people are in such silos where they're being socialized by their peers that they're just competing against each other and they're totally cut off from any like intergenerational wisdom that would help them to understand like why it's bad to dress like that or to post those types of photos on social media and and then there's also the issue where i think even the older folks that are um around are have kind of like abdicated their like boomers have kind of like abdicated their responsibility to like make sure the younger generation understands this so mm-hmm. we just kind of we have like multi-layered civilizational issues right now with this stuff
2: <laughs> yeah well I, I really like the way that you laid out how it should be preserved for a worthy man and I, I think the other problem with this is and i'm curious your thoughts as well so um when women constantly get validation or attention through sexual means even though they may not realize that you know just thirst trapping is kind of getting sexual attention um it distorts their perceptions of themselves and what they offer to people so one of the questions that a lot of the guys in manosphere ask which it can be kind of cringy but it is a fair point what else do you offer other than You know, your womanly parts. Well, when you constantly thirst trap and you're at the gym, leaving nothing to the imagination, and then you're, you know, nude on Instagram all the time, people aren't going to ask what's more to this because it's like, okay, I've seen everything I need to see here. You know, I, she she doesn't have anything else to offer. And there are guys who may be a little bit skeptical of that, but the majority of men are just going to be like, yeah, well, she just seems like, you know, a one-night smash and pass and we'll, you know, keep rocking and rolling. And that's that's damaging to men and that's damaging to women because, you know, our goal should be for families and for, you know, more prosperous civilization in this polygamous, you know, kind of society that I think a lot of – um men and women are now starting to shape up towards because this has become a trend, you know, more and more where people just kind of, you know, well, we have open marriages, open relationships. I think that's damaging. And I mean, there's even evidence to show that, like, those are the most violent societies yes. and they're yes. terrible for children.
0: Yep, 100%. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I I agree. And I, it's like, when you say the manosphere guys will say, like, well, what else are you offering? Um, it's It's kind of like, I think, a more charitable way to phrase their concern would be, like, um, what maybe, I hope, what they're getting at is, like, we're no longer encouraging women to develop virtue so then, it's all about how they look, and you can see this is like Kardashian culture, right? <laughs> they're not—they're not women that are like developing virtue or focused on being good people. They're just focused on you looking at them, and this has trickled into all the corners of society, and especially young women, and they're mimicking that on social media. Um, so we—we we no longer have anything to aspire to, besides the surface level material of looking good, right? And again, this is like part of why I'm a Christian because it really encourages work. It encourages you to work on your inner state and your soul, and your being, and your behavior, and, like, anything that's beyond the surface level, right? Um, The focus is not the surface level, and we've really lost that, and so now the only thing people have, and then this is why plastic surgery is so big, because yeah. um people are just so focused on the external, and our culture really has just lacks any sort of spiritual life or spiritual guidance, and then that's the only thing there is to aspire to. So you even see, like, very much older women, like, in their You know, celebrity women who are in their, like, 70s, like, refusing to age, right, and getting all this plastic surgery and stuff, because they're just trying to hang on to this realm instead of working on what's inside. So um, that's a huge problem. I do think that the death, so to speak, of religion plays into all of this, because that is, you know that is really gonna be like a guiding force in your morality and your behavior towards the opposite sex and how you conduct yourself and behave, right? And we've just kind of like lost that. So all there is to focus on is the material. And you even see that on the flip side in the manosphere men who are so focused on how much money you make and and um, how you look and what kind of car you have and like that kind of stuff. It's like, well, I don't think, I think good women don't care about that stuff as much as they care about your soul, right? And, mm-hmm. and your virtue and are you a good man, right? So a lot of these for guys are kind of just encouraging the same thing on the flip side, yeah. right? Really encouraging that materialistic angle. Um, yeah, so it's it's just very shallow.
2: Yeah. Well, when it comes to like plastic surgery and stuff like that, it's it kind of seems to me almost like a loss of purpose because, like, um, one of my favorite sayings and my favorite band is Pantera and always will be, but Dimebag Daryl had said their guitar player. That when you're old or there will come a day where you no longer have your teeth, your beauty or anything like that. But what's going to matter is like who you were and how people remember you if you're getting plastic surgery in your 50s and 60s and 70s, or you're a guy, and you need to be on every single performance enhancing drug in your 50s, 60s, 70s, not like TRT, you know, if you need to get to normal testosterone, okay, whatever. But like, if you're blasting, and you're trying to get a superficial look, then I really think that complements a lack of purpose, because you no longer feel like your life is meaningful enough to sustain you. Like you need some kind of, you need more validation outside of your family or stuff like that. So like when I hear people say, no, oh, I'm just going to go travel the world and you know, I'm going to get your Brazilian butt lift and do steroids. <laughs> like that, that kind of stuff. I'm like, maybe for some people that's cool, but like, I don't know. I like going to Florida with my wife and enjoying margaritas. And I like going places with our dogs. And I like to think that one day we're going to have a prosperous family that's going to be able to help, um, you know, put the world more in the right direction, which sounds noble. But I think that's kind of the goal of every single family is to kind of help shape the world in a little bit of a better place. So, And one thing that I want your thoughts on now would be like when I see people blackpilled, and I hate this whole black pill, red pill terminology just because people bastardize it to give themselves pats on the back. When I see people saying I don't want to bring a kid into this world because of how fucked up it is, my thought is like that to me is like the most encouraging message because you should think that you are sufficient enough and powerful enough that you could set the world in a little bit of a better direction by being, you know, if you're the male, then the priest of your household and the woman that you were able to foster children who become autonomous and strong independent individuals who can help once again set the world right.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like when climate change activists say like, (laughs) I'm not having kids because of climate change. It's like, well, actually, the solution would be to have kids and impart Uh morality on them that they should care about the environment. Uh Like, Right. Otherwise you're just going to leave the people who don't care about the environment here. Right. So it's like the same sort of thing. It's like, if you think the world's bad, like there are myriad ways to focus on making it better in your own life, even if you don't have kids. But if you do have kids, that's another way. Right. Um, Encouraging them to be good um, and helping to shape them into people who are going to be virtuous and good people and people who are useful in society. And like, absolutely. So it's just this like this attitude of like nihilism and despair that nothing matters. And um I see that all the time. And then I also like really appreciate the Christian angle on the whole um having kids thing because um in the Christian belief is that when you um create when you have a baby, you've created a new soul. So a soul that didn't previously exist that will exist for eternity. So you're not just creating someone who's going to make this realm better, you're creating an eternal soul for an eternal kingdom. That is like super badass to me. Um, I really love <laughs> like that idea. Um and and it, it's 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 because ultimately this world is always going to be broken and fallen and sinful and um you know the christian teaching is that eventually this world will go away um and there will be a new kingdom that is eternal and um ruled by god and um and and we'll all be judged and either end up there or not right so if you think of things even like beyond just this material world, this earth that we know, um, it gives you even deeper purpose and meaning to have kids or to be a good person or whatever it is, because you're not just like fighting for this world to be better. You're trying to, you're like an elite athlete trying to win a race and get to this like other place that's gonna be um, better, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's like myriad angles to this, but yeah, I also, I don't like the, the, let's say, Doomerism, Blackfield is a good word, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many, like, narratives of despair right now. I even think that the, um, back to, like, the um, men who deride women who don't have children, um, a lot of these women haven't been able to find men that are virtuous and good, that they can trust them him with their life, which is what it means. When, you, when you're a woman and you get married, you're trusting a man with your life. Um, That's what you're doing. And a lot of women feel like they are able to conduct their lives better than they could with a man in the picture. They haven't found a man that makes their life better and not worse. Right. Um, So to then like say she's doomed to unhappiness is also not a Christian view because, you know, there were many saints and monks who never had kids and didn't have families. And even they have a positive impact on the world and are hopefully bound, God willing, for the eternal kingdom. Right. So it just adds this layer to reality, um, that I think is really helpful no matter what situation you're in and just kind of is the antidote to all these despair narratives. I really think Christianity offers that.
2: Mm -hmm. So you're Orthodox then, correct?
0: Yes. I converted to Orthodox Christianity in 2021 after a very long journey. Um, like you said before that I'm on the right, but I was on the left (laughs) And then had this whole transformation. Oh, and you have an Orthodox study Bible.
2: Well, okay, so I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but... Uh, it's okay. Uh, one of uh, Buck and I's mutual friends, Tommy Sammons, had actually bought me those books. So I've been an agnostic my entire life. But um, the more and more I talk to Orthodox Christians, and look, I am like the most ignorant person on the face of the planet when it comes to religion, the more I'm intrigued. <laughs> let you yeah. say that. And my, my wife is a... Um, I think she's Lutheran, if I'm correctly, but um, it, it's 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 been something that's really intrigued me lately, and the more I talk to people who are of Orthodox faith, um, the, the more I'm just intrigued about learning about that worldview. Like it, it's. absolutely fascinating to me
0: (laughs) yeah well because like my journey was very like um i became spiritual through politics it's like my whole world i was also agnostic for a long time Mm -hmm. and um and then i was very concerned with politics like how do we engineer and maneuver this material realm to make things better for all of us Mm -hmm. and what i found like and I have a whole long journey of getting to Orthodox Christianity, but there was just always like something missing, like something in my worldview, something in my understanding of reality that was missing. And it was that spiritual angle. It was, it was God was missing. Like, and that was it, just kind of felt like the final like puzzle piece that like clicked everything into place and also like just gave me a perspective that helped me to um also be like less concerned with how broken this world is because it's just always going to be broken and that doesn't mean it's meaningless and that doesn't mean we shouldn't make it better in fact it's important and crucial that we do and that helps to kind of like sanctify us and make us better right um it's almost like um like um, the world is like a like sandpaper against us and like filing us into like a better shape right it's like it's gritty and hard and difficult but it's it's yeah 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 and, and and so just a lot of the problems I see in the world in politics and in our the relating of the sexes whatever it is a lot of it's just missing that spiritual angle that really I think helps put things in place so I've been very um grateful to find the orthodox church and a lot of people have ended up there um through uh there are people like me who are like interested in politics and the problems of the world right and then eventually just like ended up there and it seems to have for me it, i mean i think it has all the answers i was looking for really about how to conduct my life and how to be good and that doesn't mean i'm going to be perfect that's like mm-hmm. the opposite of the idea um i'm going to uh, stumble and fall still um but it gives um kind of this north star that um i think we're looking for and even when we were talking about people being kind of puritanical around like the treatment or um food or whatever it right. is that like tendency to want to be like um to like really get everything right it's a very natural human tendency yes. um but even in, in orthodox christianity like the focus isn't on like did you wear the right things or eat the right foods or like like follow this, or did you avoid the seed oils enough, or avoid the the um, the treatment, whatever it is. It's not about that. It's about your. It's it's really about your soul and becoming more like God and becoming more godlike and becoming better, right, as a person and growing in virtue and holiness. And I, I like that focus because it kind of takes your. It's so easy to focus on all these other things and not really feel like you found an answer.
2: Um, yeah. So somebody that you might be familiar with, um, Rachel Wilson, she explained it to me this way where or I might have explained it to her this way and she seemingly <laughs> agreed, but like when it comes to the day that you die, then when you're presented with your creator, then um you have to look at your life through like the accumulation of everything that you've done good and everything that you've done bad. And it's not like where I think some people look at religion as just a way to like say, okay, well I do all this dumb shit throughout the week and then I go and I repent and then all is forgiven. Um, It seems like with Orthodox Christians, and you could correct me as you like, because once again, I could be one hundred percent off base. Um, It seems like there's a much more nuanced view where it's not like you repent and then you know you're done. It's like okay, well, I understand I made a mistake, but like it's just the accumulation of everything that I've done throughout my life that will, you know, how do I want to summarize this? Um, That that will make me who I am when you know my time comes, if if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think that, like, like, I was raised Catholic, and um there was a very, like, um legalistic view, where where it was like, well, you did this sin, and now you must say five Harold Marys, and then it's done, right? And it's almost like how a judge would lay out a sentence, right? Mm-hmm. That's not how it is at all in Orthodox Christianity, and I was really uh, relieved to find that it's not a legalistic view. There's more of a mystical aspect to it. Um, And it it is true when you repent, your sin is forgiven. And that's our belief. Um, It's not a license to sin, though. I think some people misunderstand that about Christianity. Well, if you're just forgiven, then you can just do whatever you want. No, the whole thing is that um, we're trying not to sin. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) We're not just like doing whatever we want and then saying, you know, oh, but forget, you know, it, it's not, that's not the attitude at all. Um, and it's also not legalistic. It's not like, well, I did X amount of bad things and I have to do X amount of good things to like even it out. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a very like Catholic view. And, um, that's just not anything you'll hear in the Orthodox church, um, which is, I think a more accurate view of sin and repentance. It's just more, um, almost like, yeah, like nuanced, I think is the word you used. Yeah. Um, and that's what I find and. It just rings more true to me. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that kind of seems to be the uh, universal truth that I hear from everybody that I've talked to about this topic is that um, it seems to be a lot more concrete for people. And I'm sure you know as an agnostic person formally, and especially somebody that deals with media bias, you're kind of looking for very, very concrete things. So that way you can kind of give the facts out, right? So whenever I look for nutrition stuff, I'm trying to find studies that kind of point to a more concrete point like hey this diet had this specific outcome um you know these this meta-analysis points to this specific disease amongst these this specific group of people um it seems like there's a lot more just like of a clear understanding of how things are supposed to be with orthodox christianity where it seems like like you said almost some people may think of you know saying you know or um there being a license to sin. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think it's, yeah. And I think it's, I, I started to look at outcomes in terms of people's lives around me. Like one of the reasons I started to look into Christianity again is because I had a friend who had previously just been in a, in a very dark place um, like struggled with a lot of different issues, um, substance use, suicidal ideation, whatever it was. And then when they became a Christian, there was just this serious transformation of their being that was palpable. And I was like, what's going on there? What did Mm -hmm. they find? Um, and it made me curious because I just saw this utter transformation in them that was really beautiful. And you see this, and then this is like the story of Christianity is that it's transformative, right? Um, and that it, when you're united with God and you're really committed to walking on the path with him, you will transform in good ways and become more holy. And the thing that's interesting is, like, if you look at, like, Protestant uh, denominations, those spiritual paths aren't producing saints, whereas in, like, the Orthodox Church, there's, like, so many saints, right? right. So that if you consider that part of the fruit of the church, it's like, oh, like, this Is producing very holy people where a lot of people agree that these are saintly people, right? I mean, we ultimately don't know who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. We're not supposed to judge in that way. Um, But the Orthodox Church has produced many, many saints, modern and ancient. um, And that's something where you can look at these folks and say, okay, these were people who were just everyday people like me. They weren't like born to be holy like Christ or even the Virgin Mary. They're just people and then they've walked this path and become um and grown in, in holiness in such a way that they are now uh they've achieved sainthood and and the whole idea is that we can all achieve sainthood like that should be the goal of our um life is to become saintly right, right. to be holy and that that's such a better goal to me than like um making over 100k a year or um getting the most likes on my thirst trap or like whatever <laughs> o- other thing people are so focused on it's just like or politics even like making sure my guy wins like whatever it is it's just like it's not the way all of those are, things are distractions
2: yeah well well i think that's a uh, pretty good place to uh tie it up right there that was um this has been probably one of my favorite conversations i've had in almost 200 episodes so um Sweet. julie Go ahead, um, plug away anything you got going on, place where people could find you, um, anything like that.
0: Um, mostly I'm on Twitter these days. Um, my handle is Julie Wrights. Um, and people can also check out my substack with my sister, which hasn't been updated in a bit, but I'm planning to revive. And that's uh the Mystic Sisters substack. And we have a podcast as well. Um, and then yeah, if people are interested in media bias, I write at allsides.com about media bias and um politics. So yeah, that's what I would say.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, this was an absolute blast. And like I said, I would, um, this has just been one of my favorite conversations that I've had just because these are uh, topics that I've really, really enjoyed talking about. And especially with somebody that kind of comes at it from a little bit of a different angle. And then obviously getting into the uh, Christianity stuff as well, because that's just been a, uh, something that's kind of intrigued me as of late. So um, yeah, Julie, if you don't got anything else, we'll close her out.
0: Sweet. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
2: Of course. Thank you.